Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the History of Yugoslav Football podcast. Planinich. This episode, to be blunt, was a pain to know when to do. If you've listened to the last episode, you know that the details covered here actually pertain to the 1963-64 season which we covered then. If you know your history, you'll know that it doesn't actually come out into the public domain until after the following season, only breaking in August 1965. So the episode is going here, straight after the season to which it relates, because that's about as comfortable a bit as we'll get. Once we go through Planinich, we'll have a leap back to the 64-65 season before stopping to mention who we'll be talking about in the next episode which will be a sort of profile episode for someone who really needs more than just a profile episode, and also a quick catch-up as to what's going on in politics. In the next two episodes, there will be a lot to go through that will juggle the timeline about until we hit 1966. In the timeline of this podcast, there will be two great scandals in Yugoslav football prior to the end of the nation, of which this is the first we'll come across. But it's important to note that the issues we'll talk about in this episode were far from unique. What happened on this occasion was simply more egregious and impactful. The result of this would see teams thrown out of the first league, lengthy bans to players, and a change to the mentality many showed towards football. Unlike the second of the great scandals, which was entirely based on some extremely blatant yet circumstantial evidence, This one will be based on the testimony of the man who lends his name to this scandal, Ranko Planinich. Planinich himself was an established, if meddling, goalkeeper, beginning at Shelikshinitsa before ending up at Selyesnikar. In the run-up to the end of the 1963-64 season, Selyesnikar was safely in mid-table with three games to go. Two of those games were against struggling Hajduk and Tresnievka. Both sides would get results against Selesnikar, Hajduk winning 4-0 and Tresnievka getting a 3-all draw in Sarajevo. In both games, Planinich was between the sticks. Complicating matters going into the following season was that Vardar had been spared relegation due to the Skopje earthquake meaning the league had 15 sides. This led to an expansion of the league to 16 clubs for the 65-66 season, and Tresnevka, who would finish bottom, second bottom in the 64-65 season, escaping relegation once more due to this administrative change. Zagreb so would have three sides in the top flight, and all would remain for the 65-66 season, creating some well-earned regional pride. In the run-up to that season, Bosnian journalist Arya Hresulovic was sat having coffee when he would be approached by Planinich asking for five minutes. He agreed, and football would be rocked. Planinich stated that those matches at the end of the 63-64 season between Zelyesnikar and both Hajduk and Chesnivka were fixed, and when Rasulovic challenged him, 
Planinich simply told him to go and get his recorder and to take the allegations down properly. Over the next few minutes, Planinich detailed how Hajduk and Tresniewka had bought the results in those matches and that, while Planinich was unaware, unaware of who was paid off, confirmed the team were told not to win. Rasulovich made his excuses and sped back to the offices of his employers, Sarajevo Regional, for Senyi Novine, with one of those literal hold-the-front-page stories. He went into his editor's office to retell Planinich's allegations in full. Rasulovich wrote up the story on the front and back pages before calling Zelyesnikov's president, Nusret Mahic. He told him what Planinich had said, and Mahic said, publish it all. It's all lies. The following morning, 100,000 copies of Vesenia Novine sold out across Bosnia, with taxis being hired to take copies to Belgrade, Split and Zagreb to sell the paper. Such was the demand. Rasulovic himself would spend his day fielding calls from prosecutors and then be called to Belgrade for a hastily convened session at the FA. Planinic would submit his testimony under oath, and the FA declared the results as having been fixed. The fallout was swift and dramatic. Twelve days after the story broke, Svetasar Savic, who ran the disciplinary tribunal, announced the outcome and the punishments. They were huge. Seven Zelius Nikar board members were banned from football for life in addition to five from Hajduk, two from Tresnevka and one from Dinamo, who had acted as an intermediary between Tresnevka and Zelyesnikar in the fixing of that game. The managers of Zelyesnikar and Hajduk were also banned for life, while players Ivica Osim, who would later become Yugoslavia manager, and Drago Miso Shmailovic were given one-year bans. But more than that, all three of Tresnevka, Hajduk and Zelyesnikar were thrown out of the first league. Planinic himself was given immunity due to his testimony. So let's wind back a little and just go through exactly what happened in that 1963-64 season. In the run-up to Hajduk Zelyesnikar, Hajduk's board member Stravko Arapopovic reached out to find somewhere at Zelyesnikar to do business with. That would be Nusret Mahic. Initially, a, quote, transfer of points was requested as a favour that would be paid back down the line. Mahic simply stated, without money, there is no point talking. The night before the match in split, Zelyesnikar's demands were made. 2 million dinar in cash and 2 million dinar of payment in kind. Hajduk putting pressure on local companies to do business with Zelyesnikar and to put adverts in Zelyesnikar's magazine. Arapopovic did not accept but advised they would discuss more on the day of the game. He negotiated the price down to 1.5 million dinar, which in today's money is around 250,000 US dollars. One million of that would be provided straight from Hajduk's Black Fund and the remainder from ticketing on the day.
once the deal was concluded, Zelyesnikar manager Vlatko Konyevod arranged a sign to give to players Oshin and Smilovic to tell them to sabotage the game, to allow Hajduk to win. Oshin's efforts were so blatant that he would actually be physically attacked on the pitch by a teammate. Zelyesnikar players were outraged and made their feelings clear on the way back home. The following day, Nusret Mahic told them the game was fixed, that Hajduk were great, and that this was simply just repaying favours Hajduk had paid them in preceding seasons. Osim pulled Mahic aside later to tell him, I'll do all you ask of me as a player, but I won't do what happened in Split ever again. Mahic, however, was not done. He would then meet Dinamo's secretary-general, Otto Hoffman, who was acting for Tresnevka, and arranged the transfer of one point for a similar arrangement to that originally offered to Hajduk, with cash and payment in kind totaling 4 million dinar, or around 675,000 US dollars in today's money, with Tresnevka getting some of that money by ripping off the Zagreb Fair a large conference centre some of the Trestnyevka board members worked at. In spite of his words to Mahic previously, Oshim and also Spalovic would again be the fixers on the field. The reaction to the punishments was immediate. Spontaneous protests were held in split and the FA was left with a headache of what to do with the league suddenly reduced in numbers after only two games played. Appeals were lodged and dealt with in short order. A fortnight after the original decision, the expulsion of Tresnevka, Hajduk and Zelyesnikar was rescinded and points deductions given instead. Six to Zelyesnikar and five each to both Tresnevka and Hajduk. Of the individuals that appealed, only one would see their appeal against bans upheld, Slobodan Petrovic, one of Tresnevka's administrators. As is traditional, there was many a conspiracy theory raised around the whole issue. One was that a previous case in which Soga Kralievo and Slobodo Zice in the third tier had seen attempted match-fixing that saw a promotion to the second tier reversed. Why, in this more serious and better documented affair, were clubs permitted to remain in the league? Was there one rule for the big clubs and another for everyone else? Another theory was that Planinich was simply a patsy. The whole thing was an invention to get Hajduk expelled from the league because the club remained politically unpopular with the powers that be. Zelyesnikar and Trestnevka were simply acceptable collateral damage. The Croatian FA asked the Yugoslav FA for reports from two other disputed matches, but then also three matches involving Svena Fiesta and Partizan in an effort to either A, expressed doubt about just how common fixing was, or B, caused some mischief by throwing allegations around about the establishment's favourite clubs. The man who replaced Mahic at head of Selyesnikar even had the temerity to throw Planinich to the wolves, saying that everyone was at it and that, hey, 
Franco Planinich allowed seven goals past him in those two games, so, you know, surely he should be getting banned. The punishments as they were, were enough to send Tresnevka down and to put Zelyeznikar and Hajduk on the brink. As the evidence around the Planinich affair showed, fixing was not exactly uncommon. That Hajduk had a fund set up specifically for that purpose makes clear that funding for the dark arts was required as part of the day-to-day running of a club, be it something that was done on a purely monetary basis or with payment in kind down the line. The case of the Planet Affair was simply that this was the first time big clubs were not just accused of doing it, but had a credible witness able to corroborate the accusations to be more than just idle gossip and paranoia. It would be naive to think that fixing was not relatively widespread across all levels of the game, even in the first league. It would also be naive to think that the reaction was not down to the sheer level of publicity that this particular incident received. Clubs were initially kicked out to make a statement, and the very public unveiling of the fixes that had taken place had made the issue unavoidable. It was simply too obvious not to take on head-on. So let's now jump back quickly to run through the season in which, in between Planinich happening and Planinich being found out. This was, of course, a season with 15 teams, given the reprieve allowed to Vardar due to the earthquake. Vardar didn't just get unrelegated, they also got a short European adventure in the Balkans Cup, earning only one draw out of their six games, with that solitary point coming against Olympiakos. When it came to the Fairs Cup, Vojvodina were eliminated in swift order by Lokomotiv Plovdiv, and NK Zagreb smashed Grazza AK in the first round before falling to a tight defeat against Roma. Dinamo were the representatives in the Cup Winners' Cup once more, getting past AK Athens in the first round, hammering Stoya Bucharest in the second, before defeating Maximir consigned to a quarter-final exit at the hands of Torino. Siesta's title win in 63-64 entitled them only to a playoff loss at Highbury in the first round against Scottish champions Rangers, as La Grande Inter went to win their second European Cup in a row. Dinamo would be going to the Cup Winners' Cup again in the following season, after a double from Slaven Zambata got them beyond second-tier Budokhnost in front of only 13,000 at the Maracanã. Such cup progress didn't help Budoknost in the league, as they finished third in the second league east behind Ratniki Belgrade. In the west side of the second league, we're finally about to welcome Slovenia properly into the first league and into our timeline, as Olympia Ljubljana got promoted. The top flight, finally, saw the denouement of the babies era, as Partizan won by a distance but it wasn't the usual suspects chasing them. Hajduk was still in the doldrums, but not yet in disgrace, and finished 12th, with Suceska getting relegated as the league was set to increase to 16 the following season, meaning they would be the only side that went down. Dinamo, in spite of their cup win, weren't even the best side in Zagreb, finishing 8th behind NK in 6th, who were fired to the league 
by the nation's top scorer, Slatko Dracic. Partizan and Siesta were the only big four members in the top half of the table, with Partizan followed by FK Sarajevo, then Siesta, and then Rijeka. Yet Sarajevo would at least manage to do the double over Partizan, winning 1-0 at the JNA before a crazy 5-4 win on the penultimate day of the season in Sarajevo. Partizan would go on an adventure following this title win, but that is for a couple of episodes time. Because next time on the podcast, we'll find that Ranko Panenic was hardly the only controversial figure to emerge in the mid-1960s, and we'll be properly introduced to the other, who will be with us for some considerable time, and is perhaps the most divisive figure we will ever come across. Milian Milianic. Thank you for listening. If you would like to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever service you is you use, please feel free. The more the merrier. Uh, if you uh, would like to keep up with more um, current events on football in the region, please do follow me at Team and Mouse on Twitter. And we will be looking to um, raise the amount of podcasts we do on current affairs as the season comes back but for now thank you for listening and i will see you next time